Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and I am very, very excited about this week's guest. This week's guest is an Iranian-American queer beauty and wellness creator. Welcome to the show, Sirus Vasi. Hello. I am so excited about this. And um, yeah, I'm just so pumped to be here. I My name is Sirus, and I am, as Noor said, a multimedia, uh, queer artist and content creator on the internet. I do a lot of fun stuff in beauty and wellness, dabble in comedy a little bit, I don't know, recently on TikTok, but um, yeah, so I'm so excited to be here. I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Honestly, I just need to point out, I love the way you just said my name. I don't think I've heard my name pronounced correctly and That's how since I, I saw my parents. Like no, it, yeah. it really, I'm so glad it's such an affirming experience. And I'm, I always want people to advocate for hearing their names, not just saying their names correctly. I think, I think that's so valid and, and important. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, I've talked about this agnosium on the podcast, just about mm-hmm. like the shift I had in like making sure that people are pronouncing my name correctly, because I didn't realize for so many years that like it was almost making me feel disconnected from my own like heritage and like, you know, the meaning of my name. And like, I think the way people address you is so incredibly important. I know that that's probably a huge part of your like experience. Yeah, 100%. And then I'm, I, I totally agree. And I think that it's even gotten a lot harder for me just living in COVID times because of this sort of digital impact of like introductions, like just being on a Zoom. I mean, I've what I've realized is I will always change my name to the phonetic pronunciation in Zoom so that like people can see it. And like, you know, I'm not assuming that everyone's going to pronounce my name correctly because most people yeah. will say Cyrus. And I'm not like, you know, if I if I correct someone and then they continue to it, you know, sometimes I'll I'll just, you know, very politely remind. But I do think it's become a lot harder now that we're just, you know, in this world. Right. No, definitely. Um, and funny thing, I came across you on TikTok. I think the first video I saw was a video of you and your baba. And I was like, <laughs> oh instantly, God, like, I love this person. Who is this person? Because I too like to share videos of my father, my baba. Yes. And I, it's so funny because you made a video once about like how people on TikTok love your baba more than they love you. And I feel that so deeply because... When I don't post Baba content, everyone is like, where is Baba? And I'm like, what about me? Do, Wait. Do, do you not? Oh, my God. I could not resonate with anything more. It, yes. I, because also, here's the thing. Like, literally, I my TikTok has been such a journey. But over the past, like, I would say five weeks, it has just completely hit a new level. Like, the videos that I made with my Baba and even my mom and, like, everyone in Boston just went so viral that when I was like, cause you know, my whole thing with content strategy and I'm trying to build a more inclusive space for like beauty and wellness, like not everybody loves that content. I'm a big believer of like your content is working, like lean into it because that yeah. can then just like open opportunities. But I'm sort of like, maybe I played myself a little bit because now I'll post a video of like a skincare thing or a makeup thing. And then half of the contents are like, we want blah And I'm like, well, okay, like, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> but like, no, I'm lucky because I think that for me, I don't know if I'd love to hear what you think, but like when I started to post content of my dad on Instagram, Baba had no, he was like, this is silly. He was like, no one's going to find this funny. Yeah. Like, why is this funny? Like he just didn't understand the nuances of like pop culture and like leaning into like what people want to see. So he's become a lot more like we did like a TikTok live and stuff like that. But oh my gosh, people just live for Baba. I was like, I should just create an account for him. So people can just just go follow him. Like, why not? No, literally. Like, and it's so funny because I feel like my dad always looks so disinterested when I'm like filming him. And everyone is like, your dad seems so annoyed. I'm like, no, that's just his general demeanor. Literally how they look. Like Baba's are so uniquely different but then so similar oh yeah no no literally the same like I have so many friends within sort of like anybody who has any like Middle Eastern Arab sort of like Swana diasporic culture like ethnicity that's sort of been passed down to them or that they're a part of 
whose babas will like have a resounding thing in common. And it's like their demeanor on social media. And mm-hmm. I find that to be such a warm space because there aren't a lot of Persian content creators, but like I can always see another baba, even if they're not Persian and be like, wow, this is my baba. <laughs> like this is like literally such an amazing literally. experience. <laughs> And like, I'll see videos of people being like, my Baba's love language is giving me fruits. And I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah, like, set- completely. Or like falls asleep at 4 p.m. on the couch. Like, it's just like things that I also am finding Americans and like Westerners also resonate with, which I think is, I think it's very like kind mm-hmm. and sweet. No, and I it's think so that cute. It creates this crossover of cultures. But I think specifically for Babas, it is like a very unique, it's very unique to have a Baba. Babas are their own category. Babas are, they're just, they're just being, they're just like, they're so entertained by us though. That's the thing. They think that we're amusing. They Mm -hmm. do think that we're funny. Even if their face is not reflecting that, they think that we're hilarious and they love it. Exactly. And I think at this point too, like my, mine is very, excuse me, mine is very like used to my content at this point and like what I do and how I film. And so I think he sort of like leaned into it, although he's always been very supportive. I think now he's starting to like get it. Like he's starting to like finally like yeah. do like do things. And he's like, he's like, we should make a video of this. And I'm like, okay, creative director, I see you. Like, go ahead. Like, let's do it. So okay. that's been very fun and playful to see for sure. So Uh, what was your relationship like with both of your parents, like growing up in early childhood in the earlier years? Like, have you always been very close with them? Yeah, that's a great question. So just to give a little bit of background, my parents are both from Iran and they both very um, luckily were out of Iran before the revolution. Um, Yeah, Yeah. So they were, yeah, so they, they left Iran, both of them, to study at different art schools. They didn't know each other at the time in Paris. They met in art school in Paris through mutual friends. My mom was studying graphic design. My dad was studying architecture. Um, he was doing sort of like a five-year program. My mom was doing her art school program as well. And they met. They had a very uh, young sort of love affair and then got together. And my mom was like 19. My dad was 21. They got married. And then my mom... Uh, got a job in Boston in Massachusetts at a big graphic design firm. So that's sort of why they moved from Paris. And then growing up, you know, I didn't have a lot of close contact with cousins when I was young. I started to, when we were like seven or eight or nine, like really get to like know our cousins, but everybody lived like we were the only ones in Boston. So I was always super close with my parents. Like they were like my family. And then you know, my parents went to art school, like they were super open and had queer friends and like trans friends. And like, it was, I was, I always consider my experience very lucky because my parents are very like, not of the sort of anomaly of Persian parents and traditional conservative, like, you know, sociocultural, I guess, programming that happens in culture when you grow up and you're socialized a certain way my parents were very divergent of that so I came out to my parents when I was like nine years old and they were super supportive of that and like I remember coming out to my baba first because I just felt like he would be very chill with it and he had like the most stoic reaction with which I knew meant a lot of love I told my mom and my brother and then you know slowly we they I I told them to tell family because I do have extended family that you know have said homophobic things in the past, not knowing. And I think now are very proud of what I do, which we can talk about, but I think is a very like nuanced topic for me. Yeah, no. And that's so beautiful and special. And I I deeply relate to it in the sense of like, Mm -hmm. I get a lot of questions like, Oh, your parents are like cool with you doing this and doing that. Like my Mm -hmm. Arab parents are like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I I recognize that I am lucky yes. in that my parents very much accept me for who I am and love me and are vocal about it and they don't try to change me and I I know that and that's not just for Arabs or Middle Eastern you know children that's across the board you know there's a lot of parents who are not they're not supportive they're not you know going to be like yeah this is great I'm happy that you've discovered yourself Yeah. And like part of that too is, first of all, that brings me a lot of joy. I'm happy to see you thriving and doing what you want to do and what is 
your essence. And then I think to that, here's what I find really tricky. And I don't know if you experience this or in what way you experience this, but like part of me is sort of like, I always want to recognize that my experience is very different and that I'm very lucky and that it's not really a normal thing. I think also just in general for like queer kids and their dads historically to have this kind of a relationship. But part of me really just wants to continue to share it because I want to normalize that that experience exists. Mm -hmm. So for example, a lot of my hate and negativity like comments like trolls are mostly Persian men who come to my page and they don't see content with my dad. And they're like, I'm sure you have no, like, like another fatherless child or like, and then I'll post a video with my dad and we'll troll the comment. And they're like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah, you just assumed that I, and so part of me wants to break down that, that assumption and that really negative trope. But then part of me also wants to stay very cognizant and aware of the fact that that is a reality. Like that is a reality in some way, but it's the assumption that someone like me who's queer and has all these intersectional identities, identifies as non-binary, wouldn't have supportive parents. And that's what I want to help destigmatize. No, a thousand percent. And I think that that is translating in your content, in what you post, and you do it in such like a funny way like it's that's the thing it's so like I I feel like you really do a great job of like making it very like easy and like digestible almost like it just it doesn't feel like that is what you are doing but I feel like that is what you are like I'm like no he (laughs) it's and you know what also part of it is like you know it I don't, I didn't want to get on social media and TikTok in particular and be serious because I don't, I don't take it seriously. Like I was like, people respond to humor. Humor can be used as a really powerful mechanism to like destigmatize. And my dad has a really good sense of humor and I have a very unique sense of humor. And I was like, (laughs) why not just merge it? Like, I don't want to like come on and like have my dad sit down and be serious and be like, these are the ways that we're, de- and I'm like, you know, it's important to do that. And I do a lot of that on Instagram, but like, part of me also just, we, I need to laugh through some experiences to also like heal, like, because not all of my experiences with my parents or with anyone have, or are perfect. Like as amazing as my parents are, they're continuing to learn. They're continuing to grow. Like they continue to say things that we have to like unpack and talk about and, that's normal and that's healthy. And that's also me finding new boundaries and like healing my own sense of like insecurities whenever I've had circumstances where I've said something and people have just shut me down because when it's with your own family who does that, I think it's a lot more, you know, intense. So why not just do it through levity sometimes and just laugh a little is my theory is the it's what works for me. It doesn't work for a lot of people and I recognize that, but it's what's works for me. Yeah. And I think it just kind of is a reminder that acceptance and, you know, empathy and taking the time to like understand and explain things really does go like both ways. Like there are times that my parents will say things and I like very vehemently disagree with them. And rather than just like, you know, yelling or attacking them, I will try to find a way to like be like, hey, you know, maybe consider X, Y, and Z and help put things into perspective and contextualize things. Because at the end of the day, my parents are two 70 year old Palestinians who were Mm -hmm. born in the forties. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I I have to be able to give them that grace and that room for them to grow the way that they have allowed me to grow and learn. I love the way you said that. I think that part specifically about giving them grace is such a, it's such a mature, you're so wise. I mean, I think it's, that's really (laughs) what it is. It's like, allowing space for growth and realizing that every, and this extends beyond my parents. But when I think about like negativity and hatred and violence that's been inflicted on people, so much of it has been socialization. I think Mm -hmm. so many people are apt to become very vulnerable to their communities. And we know this, right? This isn't a new concept, but I do think it's, it gives me a little bit more bandwidth personally to do emotional labor, to connect with people that don't think like me. I will never be friends with someone who is racist. I will never be friends with someone who's homophobic, who's transphobic. But I have been, I have had conversations with those people and 
I sort of gauge at first, like whether or not this conversation is even going to be worth my time. Off, is it going to be productive? Yeah. Because sometimes someone will say something like I'll have like a, you know, a 48 year old white woman who follows me on Instagram will DM me and say, I agree with you on a lot of things, but this just crosses the line. And I'll be like, okay, this person follows me. I talk a lot about things very blatantly and they've been supportive of it. So what, what, what is this? And I'll, and if, if I have the time, I'll be like, Why? And then we'll talk about it. And I've had situations where they've been like, oh, okay. And then, and then, you know, been like, I, I hear you. I didn't think about it that way. And to me, it's like, it doesn't make a big change in the world. But like, if that person has people in their community and their surroundings that are saying things and can come with knowledge that like I've helped them unpack, maybe that's a helpful thing in a small scale, because you never know, maybe that person has a queer person in their family who doesn't feel comfortable. And if they have one person that can then pinpoint it and help them, I think that makes a difference in a person's life. A thousand percent. Like I, I really do think that a lot of this hatred comes from a place of like fear and not understanding and not knowing. And sometimes it is just as easy as maybe they just need someone to help them understand in a way that they can actually comprehend. And that's not always the case, but I, I'm hopeful a lot of the time, sometimes, you know, it's very disappointing because like you mentioned, a lot of my hate is from other Muslim women calling me, you know, a whore. And I'm just like, you know, the word whore isn't necessarily a negative thing to me, like whatever. Uh, Right, right, but but right. (laughs) No, they obviously mean it in a very negative pejorative way. And it it is this really hurtful, painful thing that it's, it just kind of like, I want to be like, we would be so much stronger if we were all supportive of each other. Like, don't you understand that this is something that is holding us back from within the community? Like, what are you doing? Like, come on. It it sucks. I also find it to be like, I have a lot of grace for Persian women who spew hate at me because at the end of the day, like Persian women have shaped who I am and I have so much love for them. So I'm always like, I'll give you a pass for this. Like, I'll give you a little pass or like, Khahar, which is like sister in Farsi, and Khahar, like, let's, like, like, I hear you. I know that this is something that you have been conditioned. I'm a lot more patient when it comes to Persian women, but yeah. Persian men. No. Listen, I, 98% of the time, I'm a very peaceful person. I don't like to, <laughs> but if I can, I can always tap into 2% if I need to and just eviscerate yes. something, mm-hmm. but I eviscerate them through intelligence and articulation because I don't need to stoop down to your level in order to just completely dismantle every like last brain cell in your mind that's functioning to create a more separated society. But like in my mind too, it's like there are certain issues that if I talk about on social media, I, I cannot have a conversation. Like there are specifically two things in my experience that if I talk about, I will get a flood of hate and a flood of comments from people from everybody. One, when I call out white gay men. Two, when I talk about supporting Palestine. There's like, Period. in my experience, there is not a single... And here's the nuance. My mom's side is Muslim. My dad's side is Jewish. I have a lot of cousins that I grew up with who are very Jewish Mm-hmm. who really identify with the culture of Judaism that they have been sort of, and we didn't grow up religious just in my house. We sort yeah. of didn't practice anything, but I will not go a day and I, and, and I won't stop, but bar none, if I post about calling out white gay men and talking about supporting Palestine and thinking about it from not just an intersectional perspective, but also like, to be honest, like personal bias, I, I, I my, my DMs are flooded by everyone just completely yeah. like, just like being like, why would you say this? I can't believe you think this. And I'm just like, I can't have a conversation with someone about it. Like, frankly, you know, and it's, I think it really is just them not wanting to, to accept reality. I think that is where that like, just spew of anger comes from is like, I reject this and I, 
I can't even stand the fact that you've shared this or said these words. Like it's so triggering to them because it goes against the reality that they've created and the beliefs that they have. And they, they're like, cause that's the thing. Someone can post something, you know, let's say they support Israel. And obviously I disagree with that, but I'm not going to then attack them or berate them. I'm just going to accept that that is what they believe. And hear them out. And it, that doesn't mean it's going to change my position. But the, this idea of if you don't agree with what I'm saying, or if you don't want to take the time to understand what I'm saying, it's just, it's, it gives, it gives five-year-old. It gives, yeah, I'm five-year-old. Completely. And also like this assumption that I've had a lot of people. So when I talked about specifically Israel, Palestine on my page and my platform, I'll have a lot of Jewish people um, whether they're from Israel or just like, you know, the U S be like, well, if you're not Jewish and I'm like, first of all, fun fact, I'm not Jew. I'm like fun fact. Yeah. And then second of all, how, where is, wh- let's talk about that nuance. Cause I have a lot of friends who are Jewish who are very, very adamant on supporting Palestine, Palestinian people, the Palestinian movement towards recognition and reparations. And I'm just like, I, you're, you're actively choosing to, to, um, disperse this visceral emotion that you have onto me. Cause the, I know the reality is that there are folks who can really understand the intersection and the nuances of what I mean when I say I support Palestine or what I mean when I say white gay men are problematic, because at the end of the day, like, I'm not saying this like through and through, like, that it's something that I need a bunch of people to respond to. I'm just saying what I believe. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's in response to other people too. It's very, I mean, it's a very tricky space to be in, especially with white gay men who will then respond to me and be like, you're being really racist or like you're being really homophobic. And I'm just like, I'm being racist and homophobic towards white gay men that have literally caused so much things and the thing is is some of my best friends are fucking white gay men i'm like i'm and they and they get it i'm like let's let's like oh it's hard i mean so and then how do you have a conversation that's productive on social media yeah yeah because i mean here's the thing when i post about palestine i just from the, like, I just never really engage with any mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Zionist propaganda. I'm just going to be honest. I'm like, this is a waste of my energy. I, you know, I, I can, yeah. I can clock when someone has been brainwashed and it's like, you know, I don't have the time for this, yeah, but it's just not worth it. It's just not it's, worth it. It's not worth it. But at, like you said, I'm like, I am just posting or saying these things because I want to say them. I, I'm not looking for anyone to be like, I agree with you or I disagree with you. It's just like, Hey, this is what I want to share. And I think that's how I've always shared content mm-hmm. online. That's been my entire, like, you know, I've spent most of my life on the internet and it's very much just like, I feel like sharing this, so I'm going to share it. And you know, if people like it, great. And if they don't also great. Yeah. And like, part of it is also, we just don't know each other on social media. Right. That's the other thing too, is like so many people, like, especially on TikTok, will assume something from me or even in another way, they'll be like, let's hang out in real life. And I'm like, you know a lot about me. I don't know anything about you. Like, I'm like, it's, I get the sentiment and the emotion. I love it. And I hear it. But like, there are people who will literally like message me to be like, let's meet up. And I'm like, I, I would never meet up with a stranger. And it's not personal. Right. It's just like, I don't know who you are. You could be lying. Like, I don't. So I don't know. To me, my community is so important because so much of what I do is so that younger queer and non-binary and like gender non-conforming Persians will be able to see somebody who is doing things and like is also being very adamant and vocal about shutting hatred down. So to me, that's the most important thing. Like when I get messages from people from Iran, it makes me feel so, it's a very emotional experience because I've never been able to go to Iran and I know that there are so many folks in Iran that live a very distorted reality in terms of like how they can present themselves and how they mm-hmm. can identify and be. And so that to me is like been such an important part of social media, probably the most important thing to me on social media. No, and I, I that's honestly exactly how I feel. You just articulated my entire, you know, mm-hmm. podcast, my entire being like it. it's 
I want to put things out that I wish I had seen when I was growing up. And I like, I, I completely recognize that not every Palestinian hijabi girl is going to be like me. And that's why I love having a podcast so that I can highlight other people from all different backgrounds and show how multifaceted we are and show how different we can be. And we don't all fit in this little box that, you know, everyone wants to to push us into and be like, well, all hijabi women are oppressed and submissive. And it's like, name one, name one, I'll wait. Like, you know what I mean? It's like this narrative that society has created for most marginalized groups is always just so inaccurate. And I'm like, if it was accurate, like I would be down with it, but it feels so far from the reality that I've experienced or that I've witnessed. So it just, to me, feels like almost if I, if I have this platform that I've created, I almost feel this sense of obligation, not like in a burden type way, just in a, no, I should do this. I have to do this. Why would I not do this? I want to do this. I 100% resonate with that. And then the only thing that I think still troubles me, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this, but like, I will get floods. I try and help as much as I can to share resources, especially when it comes to like sharing resources for organizations that are supporting like black and brown trans folks and like black and brown queer people and queer people in general. Um, I'm not an activist. And I think that word is like really impactful and important and should be used for folks that are very much dedicating so much more to the world than I am. I'm, I'm like, this is the least that I can do with my platform. But I think sometimes what happens is like, folks will just like berate my DMs with a bunch of resources and like GoFundMes and PayPal's and I'll share them and then we'll continue to follow up. And if I don't respond, because I try and stay out of, I try and respond to every DM I get, but sometimes I'm just like, I need to create space and boundaries for myself. I'll like, they'll respond and be like, well, like as an activist, like you should be, and I'm just like, I'm, I hear you. I'm not an activist. I'm also a content creator. And a lot of my job is working with brands to talk about wellness and beauty and topics that aren't as related to like Mm -hmm. grassroots activism. And I struggle with that because I, again, try the best that I can, but I don't, I think that is a flaw in, in, in sort of my internet existence that might just have to be something that I continue to work through. Like, that's just something I'm trying to unpack because part of it is also coming from like, when it comes from like, other POC, I'm down and I'm here. When it comes from like white activists or like white grassroots organizations that are like, you should be, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's like pause, think about this dynamic. Like you as a white cis person are like chastising me for not posting more about issues that affect me more than they affect. Like, I'm like, let's be self-aware. It's literally happened where I've had like, white cis women who are like basically about like a singular form of like feminism and non-intersectional feminism telling me that like I should be creating posts once a week to like dedicate to like an organization that they support and I'm just like wow the lack of self-awareness here is really the entitlement the entitlement and then part of it is also it comes from like I think, again, just whiteness in and of itself can be a really, um, can be a really difficult nuance when it comes to intersectional identities and whiteness to like navigate. Because at the end of the day, like I've gotten into conversations and heated like arguments with other white queer folks or white trans folks who talk about certain issues as if their whiteness doesn't mask them from a privilege that like is very different than the the reality that like I would live in. And I find that tough because at the end of the day, like I want to support any of the identities that I intersect with, but at the same time, your whiteness does not like, or like your queerness or like your, I don't know, whateverness does not absolve you of the fact that like you experience this white privilege and you speaking to me in a demeaning way is, I don't know, to me, I find that to be really icky personally icky is a word that comes to mind fucking annoying also words that come to mind these are because that's the thing i i do receive some of that online but to my own surprise a lot of my friends who are white have mentioned things like i have a white friend who is a cis man who is complaining after the resurgence of blm that oh like it's hard for me to promote my own business because everyone wants to support black businesses right now and like 
that's hard for me. And I was like, I'm sorry, come again. And with, with people that I know in real life, I will say I can't (laughs) be as calm about it because I, I just think that I'm like, you've been exposed to me. I expect more from you. Like if you are in my, if you're around Mm -hmm. me, like, you know, what's good. So why are you behaving this way? Like, this is unacceptable actually. Yeah. I'm, and it's, it's so interesting because again, like when I talk about, I'm using this as an example because it's just very pervasive in my life. But when I talk about like the white gaze, again, some of my closest friends that I consider part of my chosen family are like white gay cis men who I adore and who, again, are so open to understanding their privilege and where they're at. And I mean, we've had years and years and years of conversations so that when I post something like that and a bunch of strangers are like, you're like, like you hate white gay men or like, and I'm just like, you're, you don't understand it. And I'm happy to like dive into it and unpack why what you're saying is like not true. But also sometimes I'm like, I'm like, okay, you can think whatever you want. I don't fucking know you. You don't fucking know me. Like it is what it is. And that's the thing at the end of the day, do I criticize, you know, white people for, you know, their privilege and, and all these things. Yes. But I also am criticizing my own community. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I like, I listen, my podcast was almost named. I hate Muslims. Listen, I don't hate Muslims, but I did think it was mm-hmm. funny. I, I am glad that I decided <laughs> not to do that. Um, I was like, it'll be right. funny. People will get it. And my sister was like, no, people won't get it nor they, they, they will just be confused. And I was like, okay, points, points were made, you know, mm-hmm. noted will not do that. But mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I, I will be the first person to call Muslim people out. I will be the first person to be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? You are mm-hmm. being really silly mm-hmm. right now and mm-hmm. you need to stop making us look bad. Don't make us look mm-hmm. bad. Why are you making us mm-hmm. look bad? And and I feel that way about so many other groups of people. And yeah, am I more vocal when those people happen to be white? 1000%. But it is not because I hate them. It is because they are in positions of, you know, having these privileges that not everyone has. So when you have privilege, it is a responsibility and there are certain things that come with it and people giving you feedback and saying, Hey, you know, I hear you, but maybe you could try X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't know that that's hateful. I think that's actually quite helpful. Oh, completely. Uh, And like, I'm so receptive to that too. Like I, in the past, I, it's so funny because people who see me on social media assume that I've never said anything wrong, that I've never said anything problematic, that I've never had to like learn from experiences where I've literally put my foot in my mouth. And that's so not the case. Like even like during the, I would say the surge of the Black Lives Matter movement, I learned so much about the way that I was articulating empathy and the way that I was articulating support and allyship through error. If I'm being very honest, like I definitely found myself in situations where I feel like I personally could have handled conversations, the ways that I was like uplifting or trying to, or or in my mind, thinking that I was uplifting other black folks in a way that like truly was being not mindful of like the nuances of how to go about that situation. And I was so like, yeah, I, I, I need to learn and I need to like correct myself and I need to like, make sure that in the future, like I, that's the thing too, is that if I'm wrong about something, I will happily own up to it. And like, I think that has made me hopefully a better person to then be able to like move forward. But at the same time, I also recognize that there are immense privileges that I've been born into that make me very different than most other folks. Like people will forget, like I grew up without like socioeconomic instability. I will and, never go. And that I will in never, itself, yeah, like that's is, a, is a massive yeah. privilege. I will never go. Like these bloggers and these people that like a move to New. I'm like, I will be 100 percent with people. I moved to New York uh, until very recently. I couldn't support my lifestyle living in New York. Like my parents supported me almost a hundred percent when I moved here, there's, there are very few people that I know that can move to a city like this and work in the industries that I work in and support themselves without any, any help from the parents. So like for me, I'm never going to be like, like self-made, like I'm, I'm not like, I'm like, to be very clear, 
I grew up with very, and that's, I think, again, there is nuance to that because my parents who came to this country and lost everything during the revolution and really worked their way to create this life for themselves, they intrinsically, and I find this with a lot of Persians, want to give to their kids. Like that's just, they want them to have a life that they appreciate. But that's why I've never had to worry about leaving a club at 3 a.m. and getting into a Lyft and Uber or or taking the train at 3 a.m. and feeling unsafe. I've never experienced that. I've always just assumed that I could hop into a Lyft or an Uber and I could afford it. I mean, all these things that really, 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 I've had to check my privilege, like in many cases and be like, I've never lived this experience. I've, and so for me, that's a constant, that's a constant like source of self-awareness too, that I just want to make very clear to everyone that like, I, 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 like, I appreciate the support, but like there are so many people that have it worse than I do. Like, so even, especially even with my coming out story, like I have so many friends who are Middle Eastern and queer that got disowned. Like I, I'm, I'm a lucky one, you know? Yeah. And I think it is important to, you know, in that you are online and you share so much about your life. It's, it is kind of crucial that you also are sharing the fact that I understand, hey, uh, this is a u- more unique situation. I I feel really lucky. I feel really... Pr- and, and that's something that I feel that I find myself just reiterating over time. Like, people will be like, oh, how did you... How did your parents, like, let you move to New York? And I'm like, babe, no one let me. I just did. I'm an adult. Like, and, and I know that that's not every Arab girl's experience, but that wasn't mine. And, and I feel really lucky that my parents are so supportive of me, but... I can't speak on an experience that I've never had. I can't advise on an experience that I've never had. And and I think that's also important to clarify because I'm not going to sit here and say, like, you should do this, this, and this. And I'm like, I've never had to do that. So why am I going to... Exactly. And that's what I'm running into an issue as a content creator is like, people will ask me like, well, how do you become a content creator? How do you... And I'm just like... I don't know if you don't have parents that can support you. Like how can you afford all of the, like brands work with you if they see that you're posting content that resonates with them. I work with a lot of luxury brands. It's because I owned these, like I was using these because of a privilege that I've had. Like I, I will be fully transparent about everything. I will say that I, at this point have built myself to a point where I can sustain my life and I no longer have to rely on my parents and I'm very grateful for that and sure I like worked for it but let me be very clear like to get to this point I owe it completely to the support of my parents like if they did not support me I could not have done content creation on the side tried to start a consulting business and worked full-time at an agency which is what I do now and like I've again but how have I done that by being in the right circles, by being in the right, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it is so important for me to keep that in mind always. Absolutely. And, and there are so many things that I think I'm starting to realize more and more that, you know, a lot of factors come into play, especially within the industry of like fashion and beauty. Like it mm-hmm. helps to have a certain body type as much as everyone wants to say mm-hmm. everyone is so inclusive and blah, blah, blah. No, it helps yeah. to, you know, skincare brands will reach out to me because they're like, oh, she has nice skin. And yep. I know that. And I'm aware yep. of that. And that's why I will say like, hey, I don't have, you know, problematic skin. You know, I, I have the occasional mm-hmm. pimple. I do have a giant one on my face right now. It's actually the largest pimple in history. I have, <laughs> I am going to just go ahead and say that I have some concealer on it right now, but it's, it's very large. Um, and, but it's not a reoccurring, this is like the first pimple I've had in like almost a year. And so like, yeah. I'm not going to be like this skincare product is going to, you know, fucking clear your skin and tra- change your life. I'm like, no, it's like, it's good. And like, you know, it is targeted. These are the ingredients that could help if you have these skin concerns, but like, I'm not going to sit there yeah. and make any claims yeah. about that. I'm just going to yeah. say these are the ingredients. This is what they could potentially do, but I can't Agree. say for sure. No, I'm the same way. And also I think what you said is so reflective of where we're at. Like still, like I, I'm sure you work with a lot of brands. I work with brands that like would not come to me if I wasn't pretty like on it. Like if I, what, if I couldn't like pull a look and if I didn't have a certain body type and if I didn't have a certain lifestyle, like it is so hard, so much harder for creators 
And I will say specifically for Black creators and Black women and Black trans folks who are creators to even just get noticed based on the continuous bias. Like, we say we've gotten better. Where? Show me. Like, pride campaigns. Like, okay, like, pride campaigns are the only times that you approach these folks. When else? Like, I've never seen any other brand really, really be able to infiltrate and, like, and especially in the luxury world. Like, especially in the world of luxury, which is still super racist and there's so much colorism and fat phobia and, like, homophobia. I don't know. It's just... It's wild. And that's the other thing. I like, I will be the first to recognize the fact that I have a lighter complexion. I don't have an accent when I speak. I, you know, all of these things, they are a reason why brands, you know, might be leaning towards working with me versus another Arab creator, another hijabi creator. And also I'm very aware that sometimes I am being exploited, but mm-hmm. here's the thing about being exploited for in, in, for me, I will weigh out the pros and cons. I'm like, okay, this brand is probably trying to tokenize me. Mm-hmm. Number one, do I think that this could still be beneficial though? Do I think that this type of exposure could still be helpful for people who look like me or you know haven't seen someone mm-hmm. like me? Is it worth it? And then also like, I'm going to be completely real. It's like, are they paying me fairly? Because a lot of times they want to exploit you and they want to not pay you or compensate you fairly. And it's just like, you can't do both. Pick one. Yep. And and I, and I will be very, listen, I love that voice. It was, I think it was a TikTok of like, um, I was an employee. Like I would do it for a check and you would too. Like I will say there are some brands I will never work with. I fundamentally will not work with. There are some. Same. However, there are those brands that are in the middle that I'm just like, huh. And this, I'll be very transparent. There's a brand right now that I'm supposed to be working with. And I won't say what brand it is, but it is, it's a, it's a tanning brand. And I was like, huh. Okay. And I thought to myself, I was like, I love a good glow. And I definitely in this, in the winter times, like I feel like I don't have sort of the color that I have in the summer, which I love because I tan really well. And I was like, okay, like I come up with a story. And then I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, let me look at their Instagram page. I looked at their Instagram page. They were working with folks of all different shapes and colors. And I was like, okay, like this is the best. And then I was like, and what is the, what's the fee we're working with? And they originally did not match my fee. And then I was like, I, I'm so sorry. I will not make any space or room unless you you hit this beat. So, and they did. And so I, in my mind, I think to myself, like, what is the worst thing that could happen out of this partnership? Because I am someone, and I'm using this as an example. I'm someone who uses so many different oils in the summer. And I do use a lot of things to help me get a glow. And I love a tan, like truly like in the summers, it just makes me think of when I was younger and I was on the beach and I was with my cousins because a lot of my family's in France. It makes me think of South of France. I feel good about the story and the connection to this brand, but like, is it one of those brands that's in the middle for me? Sure. And I'm happy to be transparent about it. But at the same time, I know that they're going to tap into me to help build their credibility as a brand. But if you're not going to pay me, we're not doing this. Like that. That's the other thing too, is that I'm like, when it comes to rates and fees. And I honestly think that there are many cases where I'm too nice to brands who, you know, are like, we can't afford this. And there are smaller brands and I'm like, okay, like I I know what you're paying other influencers um, because we all talk. So I don't know. I don't know if you experience that or if like you're in the same. No, 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 no. We, we all talk. If you're a brand and you're listening, we all talk. We all know, we we know what the rates are and we, we will weaponize that knowledge. <laughs> oh yeah. I am. Um, I recently was in a, there's this amazing creator. I'm just going to not disclose who she is just because it'll be very specific, but we were just recently DMing and she got approached by a brand that I worked with. And, um, she was just asking me and being very transparent. Like, Hey, like I, they they want me for this campaign. Like, is there anything like in terms of rates? And she shared her rates. And then I was just like, oh my God, I should really increase my rates. I was like, and I thought that I was highballing this brand. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, and I was so grateful to her. And likewise, she was so grateful to me. And we had this conversation, but I was like, we talk. 
I'll know exactly if I'm going to a shoot, especially I know how much the other models are making because we all know the same agents. We all know everybody's saying and sharing. And I, I don't know. I, I find now that the transparency is really, it's very, it's, I don't know. It's very drama worthy. Like, I don't know. I find it really interesting too. Cause oh, no, I, it's, it's the discrepancy is wild. And the way brands love to just be like, we're a small brand. We don't have money. It's like, that's so crazy because you paid this creator like a lot of money, like objectively a lot of money. So, you know, suddenly we're, Suddenly you have no money for me. Um, I, I mean, know. Okay, that's fine. Or I see, I'm like, oh, that's funny. I saw a really big ad buy when I was walking in Soho. And I was like, I know how much those ad buys are because I work in marketing. I work at an agency. I know that that comes out of a marketing budget. I know how much marketing budget you put aside for influencers. And I know that there are tiers of influencers that you work with. Like, I, that's the other thing too. People sometimes forget I've been working in influence marketing for four and a half years as an agency. It's not my main job at my agency, but I've worked on dozens of contracts with influencers. I work on many influencer programs. I will not let a 21 year old like publicist from some brand try and gaslight me into thinking that my rates aren't fair because I can literally show you the contracts that I have signed for influencers that have lowballed and still gotten paid more than I have. So let's not play that game. Like I'm like, I'm you girl, like, let's save it. Cause I, I, I know like when they're like all oh, these fees and then I'm like, Oh, I can show you exactly why engagement rate reach. I know all these like fuzzy words that you throw out with your teams and that brands try and use. So let's not even go there. You know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm like, let's not touch that because it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have sent a lot of, uh, pretty, Respectful yet aggressive emails yeah, to brands. Yeah, of course, sure. One, respectful but aggressive. Like yeah. that's the way that they work. Like I get it. I've worked in the industry, and I know which brands genuinely. Like I've worked with some brands at a at a fraction of what my rate is. That I that are like truly either brands that my friends are starting or that like I really yeah. believe in, and I know yeah. they don't have a budget, and yeah. I'm happy to promote. Um, but. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not about that. Or I will like see that a brand has a small Instagram following, but then I'll look, I'll like tap the founder and the founder is some influencer with like 10 million followers who I know started this brand and I know has budget. So I'm just like, don't let that be you either. Come on, come on. And that's the thing. I it, I think it's, it feels insulting for, you know, a myriad of reasons, but most importantly, it's like how how yeah. dumb do you think I am? Like, this is my literal job that I've been doing for like eight years. Like, mm-hmm. you think I'm a dumb dumb? Because yeah. just tell me you think I'm a dumb. Just be like, hey, dumb so dumb. So are you, are you doing it full time? I, I, yeah, I'm doing it full time. I've been doing it full time for, I'm trying to think maybe like three and a half years. It was for very you. scary, extremely scary, terrifying. I'm very risk averse. So it was mm-hmm. hard for me mm-hmm. to like, you know, really let it, but it just, it got to the point where it was no longer manageable for me to be working full time. And then also being a content creator, essentially full time. So I just kind of had to, you know, take that risk and I don't regret it. And I know that that's all, I hear that a lot, but it doesn't make it less scary. It doesn't make it less terrifying. And, And, but at the same time, I also recognize that when I did make that decision, I know at the end of the day that if I ever needed something and I asked my parents for money, which I haven't, but if I needed to, I could. And just having that option is a source of like comfort and privilege that not everyone has because you are taking yeah. a, a huge risk if you're leaving like a stable job with a stable salary to become a freelancer where some months are great and then other months are not oh, as great. Are, are scary. I, <laughs> I think about it that way. And I also, you know, I'm doing the consulting. I work full time. I work in nine to five and I'm my content creation recently. I've just, I'm at a point where like, I'm ready to like, at least try and figure out how to, minimize the consulting so that I can focus on my full-time job, which I really love. But then also the content creation, which has been like, I used to get maybe an email a week and now I'm getting like five emails a day and half of them are like, I would never do, but some of them per week is like starting to read. I'm just like, I don't know how sustainable this is, but, um, 
I too sort of try and think about the fact that like, if I ever needed my parents' support, like to your point, like they would be there for me too. It's just, I just pay way too much fucking rent for this apartment. If I didn't live in this apartment, I genuinely think my life would be so much more different. Like it's, I don't know. My space is important to me, but like, this is, it's a little bit, I don't know. New York is crazy. Yeah. New York is I mean, if I didn't have to pay rent, I would be rich. I would be so Oh, I, that's the if I lived so in another rich. city. We would be, I would be rich. Like, oh my God. When I think about if I lived in like Chicago or like some, and then I'm like, I don't, don't want to live there. I was like, I like New York. Like, I don't want to live there. Like it's, I don't, I don't. But then sometimes I'm like, maybe I do. Like, I don't know. You're like, maybe I do want to be maybe rich. For maybe the price of a one bedroom in a luxury building with a pool and a doorman for seven fifty, like that's a thing in other cities. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's also just not the vibe, but like, I I don't know. I'm, I'm grateful for, for this life. And I'm happy to see that you're also killing it and that you're working with amazing brands and you, and, and continue to do it. And like, I do think that, and I say this because I think that I'm someone who is like very strong and able to negotiate with brands and able to negotiate how much I'm worth. And recently I've still been struggling with that. So I think it's important for everyone to know that like, they can continue to push. They can continue to ask more and not just feel like, okay, like I got 110,000 followers in four weeks on TikTok and like brands were reaching out, wild, which is, and I will say that is wild, but I will also say that like, I was just continuing to do the rates that I was doing. And a friend of mine who works at a brand who wanted to work with me, I sent her my rates and she was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I was like, you're right. I was like, but I, but I didn't even think about it. I was just like, and I, and I raised it a little, but she was like, you need to like, and that, and, and, and I'm someone who's always at it. So it's like, I need to remind myself sometimes to do those things that I forget to do. And I think it's really inspiring to talk to people like you who are so, you know, incredible at what they do and, and have been in this industry for a really long time. And I just fucking love your content in general. So, <laughs> so there's that. But. <laughs> I am blushing right now. Thank you. That's like so nice. Like you just made my entire day. But also I very much believe that friends bully friends into upping their rates. That's what me and my friends do. Like I will be the first to tell any of my friends who are creators like, oh, they offered that much. Even if it's a lot of money, you should still just counter offer just for funsies and just see what happens. And a lot of times they're like, okay, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Especially and my you're marginalized. Like we should be getting that money. It should. Yeah. It, we. I'm not me turning into an entitled white person. I'm like, no, I want that money is mine. <laughs> I mean, no, but it it is. And also, yeah. like that's the thing too is sometimes even when I when I worry about like my engagement on TikTok is probably not as high as on Instagram. I'm still like they want to work with me because they want to work with me. Oh, at the end 1, of the day, they don't, they don't. I mean, engagement's important. Yes. but like they want to work with me because it's me. They want to, you know what I mean? And I'll take that. So. Yeah. And I think that that's something that a lot of times people, when they're creating content and starting out, they're worried about, but it's really, it's not, it is about numbers in some ways, but I think it just comes down to if a brand really likes you, that is what they want. They want you to be associated with their brand, with their product, with your community that you've built. And there is value to that where yeah, having a large following, getting great engagement. These are all wonderful things that don't hurt at all. But right. at the same time, and I find myself kind of sometimes because on Instagram, you know, the algorithm just loves, you know, playing with my emotions. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, I, I'm like, what did even 1% of my audience see this content? No, but I really try not to fixate on those numbers and more so make make it a point to only think about, well, is this content that I actually like? Is this something that I actually want to share? To me, there is value to that. And I, and, and I see it translating into getting jobs because I'm going to tell you my engagement last few months truly has not been that at those numbers since maybe six years ago. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just going to roll with it. And here's the thing too. I so appreciate that. I think brands are now starting to realize that we're shadow banned. I think brands are starting to realize that the algorithm does not always favor us. I will post content that is so fucking stupid and it will get like 23% engagement. And of course the one sponsored post I have this week flops and those brands still come back to work with me. So and at I'm the convinced end of the day, I think also... When- no, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. What are you going to say? Were you convinced that what? I was just going to say, I think sometimes people who follow 
other who follow creators are petty and they see that it's sponsored and they're like, I don't like that you're getting paid for this, so I'm not yes. gonna like this post. Yes, and I'm like, I, I come said it. On. Like this is how we continue to like do shit and like be here. And like that's the thing too is I um I agree with you, but I I I too see the value and I think smart brands know that even just working with those people, they're doing amazing things because of those. 500 people that may have liked my post, even though that was like not what I wanted, like that's 500 people that could go and buy your products. That's still a good amount of people. So I don't know. I'm, you know, we'll make it. I mean, we'll, we'll continue to do all the things and I guess just see where the Yeah, no, like it's, that's me to myself every night. I'm like, it's fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, Nora. Like it's, and it is going to be fine. Like sincerely, it is going to be fine because I mean, at the end of the day, I, I feel like there's always going to be a way that I can express myself and create, whether it be on a podcast or on TikTok or, you know, whatever it may be, or exploiting my baba. I can do all of those things and I can switch it up. Yep, exactly. And I'm happy to. And like I said before, like leaning into content that works, people were loving the content that I was creating, even like my content style now. Whereas before, like with beauty, I would just do a video of me doing beauty. Now I'm like, let me just like put some like comedy or like social justice into beauty and talk about it. And it performs so much better or like it doesn't. And I'm like, okay, it's just a learning experience. It's all experimental. Yeah. I did want to ask though, um, I know, I know we're getting at the tail end of the episode, but I, I wanted to know, do you have like a specific member memory of when you started exploring your gender identity? Yes. I, from a really young age, I started to go into my mom's closet and try on her clothes. And from a really young age, I think it was when I started to try on her bras that I was like feeling very dysphoric in my body, um, specifically. And I would just hide it and really be afraid because I, at that point knew that I was attracted and I wasn't like, I wasn't a straight person, but when it came to gender, I was really scared. Like I definitely, because in, at the time I didn't know what I didn't, I didn't know that I didn't understand and internalize what gender was to me. It was a binary. It was like, you were either a man or a woman. And in my mind, I felt so feminine and I felt so femme presenting that to me, it was like, okay, well I have to transition. Like that was it. Like to me, it was like, I am either going to be a person of trans experience, like a woman of trans experience, or like I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. And so then I think, you know, that was really hard. And for 10, 15 years, I've, I felt super dysphoric in my body. And then like, you know, it's still some of that trauma sits with me that I'm unpacking today and, you know, thank God for friends and therapists and people who can help me do that. But like, I think at the end of the day, when I really realized how I could become comfortable in my body was when I went to college and I learned about gender theory and I learned words that started to like make sense. And I was like, huh, like what does being non-binary mean or gender non-conforming? Like that's exactly how I feel. I don't feel like I need to do this. I feel like I want to do this. Maybe one day I'll want to transition to this, but like it, once it became nuanced and like the binary was sort of like stripped away from what I'd been socializing to believing, I, I became, I began to repair a relationship with my body. I will not say that I have a good relationship with my gender. I will, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I feel dysphoric every day, but along the spectrum of like where I was to where I am now, it's so small and it's, part of healing and it's part of repairing and it's, and you know, I'm grateful for that. But I think that with me, the fluidity of my gender is still part of that. Like unknown is fun is sort of like, well, what can I explore in the future? Like if in, you know, 10, 15 years, I feel like I want to do something different with my body. Let me do that. And I'm not scared anymore. So I think that the fear of it is what was the most traumatizing thing versus the actual thing itself you know. And I like, just want to say thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I, I'm, I, I'm just so happy that people like you are on the internet and sharing Mm -hmm. your experiences and being vulnerable in the way that you are. And it's just so beautiful and it's so special. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you came on the show. Like I, I'm, I'm really excited for people to hear this because I think it's such an important conversation to be had, especially, you know, 
like you said, it's, it's a lot about perspective too, which can be hard, but letting the idea of fear or kind of feeling like you need to just stick to one thing and kind of eliminating those factors or those elements and like allowing it to be this more exciting, positive discovery experience, I really think is a helpful tool that a lot of people could utilize and, and, help them heal and grow and learn to like love and accept themselves. I thank you. The feeling is so mutual. And there are two things. I mean, the two things that I would sort of say that, have you know, I think encompass my experience. One, what you just about accepting yourself. My biggest thing is that like genuinely I'm at a point in my life where I don't need more acceptance. Like I don't need it. I welcome it with open arms, but I think the biggest, you know, thing that recently people have been like saying, especially when it comes to hate comments is I don't accept you. And I'm like, I'm not asking for your acceptance and I don't need it. You can keep it. Like I have enough. Like for me, that's, that's an empowering moment is to be at a point in your life where you feel the abundance, joy of acceptance that you've given to yourself. And, and the rest is just a bonus. Like the rest of, I mean, it's not a minute thing, but even like the acceptance from my parents, I don't, I'm at a point where I don't know if I need it, but it is such an amazing feeling to have it but I don't need it from strangers and I don't need it from people on the internet that I don't know. Um, and like, if you're not, if you don't, if you're saying that you're not going to offer it to me, like, just know that like, I don't, I, I'm not sleep losing sleep over that. Like we're good. And then I think there is a content creator who I adore. Her name is Teffy. I don't know if you follow her. I love I her love so much. She's amazing. Like shout out to Teffy and all the content that she does. I think she puts me into a safe space and she said something very recently that has stuck with me that was like in her experience, um, this was sort of her individual experience with um, a struggle that she's gone through in her life, but it sort of resonated with me was that sometimes it's not necessarily about being positive. It's about being neutral. And I thought that was a really interesting thing when it comes to emotions. Like sometimes like if I'm having a bad day, I force positivity onto myself and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to girl boss. I'm going to make myself a coffee. Like I'm going to fake it. And then I really like, sometimes like I, it's just being neutral and like accepting it. And I think that has been so helpful to me is that like, I don't need to spring positivity into a moment if in order to trick myself into feeling better. Sometimes I just have to accept that it's going to be like that. And the neutrality of it has actually been more helpful than the, like the feigned sense of positivity. So I think on a bad day, you know, people only see a smidge of who we are on the internet. And I think for me, part of it is also like showcasing the neutrality on the internet instead of just the positivity has been really helpful for me to like not dissociate from like my real life to my life on social media. And that's on growth. That's on (laughs) like so many things because yeah, like everything you just said, I'm like, yeah, no, a thousand percent because there are days, like I had a shitty day yesterday and I was trying to do this like annoying thing where I was like, well, if you keep complaining about it or being negative about it, you're just attracting more negativity and like, how is your day going to improve? And then I just was like, I mean, what if I just, what if my day doesn't improve? What if it's just it? What if this is just kind of a shitty day and the ease that I felt in that and just kind of taking that burden, that self-imposed burden off of myself was such a huge relief mm-hmm. and that in itself did kind of improve my day and my mood. Also, I had an egg and cheese and spinach bagel and that also improved my day. Yeah. Yeah. Those little things. And that's it too, right? Like sometimes it's okay to just not do like when I'm in a bad mood, I want to post content that like will like get views and likes or that. Like I'll be like making fun of my mood. And sometimes I'm like, bitch, just chill. You don't need to post anything right now. You're good. Like you're just, this is a real experience you're having. Like don't get, into the space of like, cause that's the thing too, is that like, I have very, very strict boundaries on social media of what I'm happy to share and what I'm not happy to share. And when I'm in those moods, I sort of veer on the edge of the boundaries of like, well, I kind of want to share this. And then I'm like, no, this is a real life experience that you're allowed to keep from people. And that can just be for you. So just another reminder to anybody, you do not have to share everything on the internet. You do not, it's not worth it. It's really not. Nope. And, and also that's, that's something that I think takes time and understanding your own boundaries and, and, you know, cause it can feel really good sometimes to just oh, be vulnerable yeah. and, and have it resonate with people and have so many people feel better because of it. But 
you know, recognizing that that can also be emotionally taxing and recognizing that being vulnerable in that way, as much as it might feel good in the moment. And I'm not saying don't be vulnerable online, but I think just being cognizant of that and Mm. being aware and having that in the back of your mind, like, well, you might feel this way in this moment, but like, how are you going to feel like maybe just tomorrow, you know, not even like long-term, just tomorrow. How are you going to feel about that? It's a spectrum of of things, you know, and like, that's, that's the reality of it is that like, you're going to feel great doing this in the moment, but sleep on it. That's always, that's my best advice is just sleep on it. Sleep on anything. Give yourself a few hours. If you feel the same way later, okay, follow that. Like, but. And that's why I, my nighttime routine, I is so much more important than my day routine because Mm. I feel like nighttime is like when I like let my body rest in every aspect. Mm. And also like, not that I'm like laying in bed thinking about things, but like, you know, you really process things better when you're well rested. Yup, 100%. 100%. And I'm trying to get more sleep too recently, which has been nice. So. I've been also doing that, but I think now I'm just... Now, there comes a point where it's like, okay, you're getting more sleep, but like maybe it's too much sleep. Maybe you're too rested <laughs> right. more. You know, maybe you are in a coma for nine it's hours. It's okay and, for now. And that's know. okay. I'm like, you know, maybe you've slept in and missed yoga like five times in a row and maybe stop doing that. You know, maybe right. also realize that you're not going to be awake at 7 a.m. So stop talking <laughs> right. to yourself and book book the 9 a.m. class or the balance. 12. Balance. It's yeah. all balance. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people? I'm like just so excited. Yeah, where can people find you? you Plug all of your things. I'm gonna plug it. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Cyrus Vasey, and um, I also have a my own Instagram live series that um, is going to be no shock to Noor, but Noor, I'm actually going to reach out to you very soon about, um, that you can follow. We'll have, I have, it's called Chai Chats, where I do intersectional conversations with really inspiring creators to get to know them. So I'm excited to um, do that soon with more creators like you, but also you can find me there and um, hydrate, sleep, do what's best for you today. I'm so excited right now because I want to be on Chai Chats. So <laughs> oh my bad. gosh! It was I've literally just been waiting for like the, my schedule. It's it's gonna it's gonna happen. So. Oh no! It's absolutely gonna happen. And as always, guys, I will have all of the social media links in the episode description. You could follow the podcast on Instagram at Arab American Cycle, where you will see a gorge photo of Cyrus and oh Cyrus, I fucked it up. You see how I was doing so well. And then, <laughs> You're I, so perfect. And then, and then I, I like combined Cyrus and Cyrus together. Why did I do that? Well, you know It was perfect. No. Everybody it's makes perfect. mistakes. Everybody mm-hmm. makes mistakes. Everybody there has we mistakes. Go. Yeah. And um, you could follow me on Instagram where quite frankly, all I'm doing is taking pictures of my cats right now. So that's fun. And you could subscribe to Patreon where I might be crying. I might not be crying. I'm probably crying as always, guys. (laughs) Floss your teeth, wear your sunscreen. Don't be a fucking asshole. And I'll talk to you next Sunday. (laughs)